Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers To Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Brain again, and he's got it! Gavin was closing in, oh Gavin has scored! Abdul Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the cup and not to three. Hello and welcome to It's All Cobblers to Me. I'm Charles. I'm here on my own again, but don't worry, there are reasons for it. First of all, I thought let's give Neil and Jesse a bit of time off. Well, why not, eh? We had a fantastic interview last week. Interview chat, chat. Let's go with chat with Ryan Cresswell and Jason Taylor. If you've not heard it yet, definitely go back and check out last week's episode, The Jay and Cressa Show. It's on your podcast app of choice or on cobblerstome.com. Really, honestly, go look at it. And if you're a patron, you can go and actually watch it. And believe me, that's a treat all in itself. Thanks very much if you do support us on Patreon. Uh, It's great to have you there. We'll hopefully be providing you with lots of additional content over the course of the coming weeks. This week then, well, the other reason why I've given the guys a bit of a week off is Danny's move to Bristol. So good luck, Danny, down there. He'll still be on the podcast. Don't worry, we record remotely anyway, so he's not going to be missing. It just means that he won't be at Sixfields as much as he was in the last couple of seasons, which is a shame for him. But today, we've got a cracking interview with another former player. This time, it's a player who played for the club a little bit further back than what we've had recently. We're going back to the 2012-13 season and one of A.D. Boothroyd's first signings for the club that season. It was former Walsall striker Alex Nichols. He's talking about how he came to sign for the Cobblers, his time at the club, and obviously the horrific injury that he suffered in the game against Port Vale. Just so that you know, he does talk quite vividly about that. So if you're not up for hearing a little bit of gruesome detail, then then it's probably best that you maybe listen to this episode away from any children. Or if you're squeamish like I am, then you might just want to just duck it down and, and turn it off for a little bit when it gets to that moment. But Alex is fine now. 
and it's all good and he really enjoyed talking to me. So sit back, relax and hear my chat now with former Cobblers striker Alex Nichols. So welcome to the podcast Alex, how are you? Thank you, um, yeah very well. Um, obviously trying to get through lockdown as best I can um, with the kids and stuff but now uh, managing just about. Good stuff. Are, are you got a like a fitness regime that your current club have set you to keep going? Um, not as such, no. Um, I just try and look after myself as best I can. Um, try and get out for my hours exercise when when the weather and the, the kids allow. Um, but I've got a treadmill in my garage, so I jump on there and kind of gets me a bit of alone time. So I, I use that wisely. Yeah, I don't blame you getting alone. I normally go out for a run just to get, just to escape. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so obviously, talking about uh, your, your football career, I mean, the majority of your your footballing life was was spent at Warsaw, um, and you had quite a good time there, from what I can see. Anyway, just sort of looking back through the the histories on like Wikipedia and stuff like that. Um, that's where you started your career, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I signed as an under-12 at Warsaw, um, kind of progressed through the centre of excellence as it was at the time, um, signed professional at, I think I was 17, um, just after I played my first game, and yeah, kind of progressed there, and I, I, play, I think I played over 200 games, two, maybe 230 games for them, so yeah, a good stint in my career at one club. And then it came to, I think Dean Smith was the manager when I left. They kind of offered me uh, a new contract on lesser terms. And obviously I, I just got to the age where I was on a, a free transfer and I could leave for no fee. So I decided to obviously have a little look around and see what was out there. And obviously uh, AD came calling at Northampton. Yeah. I mean, what was that What was that like? I mean, you sort of hear, I don't know whether you've watched the Sunderland Till I Die documentary, Yeah, but there's obviously Madger who basically not refuses, but just doesn't sign a new contract or doesn't sign professional terms or whatever it is, and then ends up leaving for free. And it very much portrays his agent as being the bad guy of the whole situation. Yeah. You said there about how you know, you knew that you were at a point where you could leave on a free and you could go somewhere else without, you know, somebody having to pay for you. Was that something that you actually were were bothered about? Or was it was it basically time for you to leave Warsaw and it was like the perfect opportunity to do so because you weren't attached to anything? Um, from my personal point of view, um, I was kind of coming to the point where I'd gone so as far as I felt I could with Warsaw. And my situation was maybe wanted to try elsewhere and see if I could start to progress my career elsewhere. Um, but I'm pretty sure there are. I, I suppose it depends what the situation the player's in. Uh, you know, if a player's off the back of a really good season and they're coming up to a free transfer, then the likelihood is they're not going to sign a new contract because their stock's really high. And obviously mm. moving elsewhere, they might get more money, they might get a better club. You know, there's pros and cons for it both ways. But I just think it depends the situation of the player at the time. Uh, and like, if I'm being totally honest, if Warsaw would have offered me a contract on the same money that I was on at the time, I would have stayed. I wouldn't have wanted to move. But it was just at the time, the situation, them offering me lesser terms... Um, it just kind of made my decision for me. I think a lot of the time we as fans kind of forget that, you know, the kind of money that we're talking about for, for players like yourself in sort of leagues one and two, it's not Premier League, Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo money. No. It's not the kind of thing where you're basically going, well, I only need one contract and then I can retire if I'm yeah. sensible. So when you get offered reduced terms, it, it's it's like if any of us were, were told, well, we're going to, we're going to lower your wages now, you know, we're not going to pay you that much. Actually, I mean, that wouldn't be a very good thing. And I, I don't even know if it would be uh, legal under pay or whatever it's yeah. called in a normal job. So, I mean, you then leaving to go and look elsewhere to see if you can get a contract for either the same money that you're on or maybe even more that nobody can really blame a player for doing that. No, Absolutely. And like I said, different players have different circumstances and 
if Warsaw had have offered me the same money I was on, I would have been more than happy to stay. But just to put a bit of context on it, Northampton ended up offering me double of what Warsaw were offering me. So in any profession, it's going to be difficult to turn that down, especially when you've got kind of in the back of your mind that it might be time to move on. Yeah, I, th- I, I, yeah, I can completely understand that. Then, if you're going to get double the money going somewhere else, then you've got to look after yourself, haven't you? And at, at, yeah, whatever age you are. Uh, obviously, I, I was still disappointed to have to leave Warsaw because I've been there so long, and I, I, it was a club that I did enjoy playing for. But like I said, the circumstances. I, I just had my daughter. Uh, I think she was maybe one or two at the time, so I kind of got that in the back of my mind. Uh, thinking that obviously at Northampton it was a two-year contract as well I thought you know a bit more security and it it just ticked the boxes for me really but yeah there are situations within football where players are using the Bosman rule into their advantage and and like you say at this level where the money is not the same as the Premier League you can kind of understand why. Alex is a um... He's a front player. He can also play wide. He's played most of his. Well, he's played a mixture of his games um, uh, in wide midfield, right and left, and also up front. He's, so he's very fit. He's very quick, uh, and I think he's, he's going to be a really, really good goal scorer. He's got um, a lot of development left in him, and he's still uh, he's still obviously very, very young, and still got a chance to uh, uh, to keep getting better. So he's one we're looking to work with and, and, and develop, and um, hopefully push him on and, and push us up. Let's talk about that move then to Northampton. Was it us coming to you or A.D. Booth or getting on the phone to you and saying, what, do you want to come and play here? Or was it maybe yourself or your agent sort of just putting your name out to other clubs and, and we were the ones that turned around and said, yes, we'll, we'll have a look at you? Well, it was obviously a new experience for me because I'd been at Warsaw for so long. I'd never been out of contract with them when they weren't going to extend it. So this, it was a first time where I was kind of out in in the football world with no, no team. And I'd had a couple of offers. I'd met Mickey Adams at Port Vale, uh, went up there and had a chat with him and spoke to him and they offered me a contract a couple of days later. And that's where I was going to start with. Uh, I'd pretty much agreed everything with Port Vale. And then at the last minute, AD contacted my agent. And there was a guy working for my agent called Michael Ricketts. You might remember him. He, mm-hmm. he played for Bolton and Warsaw and uh, he got an England cap as well. He was kind of working um, with my agent at the time. And he played under AD Boothroyd at Leeds. So AD contacted Michael and kind of got a meeting with me through him. And we came down to six fields, went up to the one of the restaurants up at the top. And yeah, AD took me for lunch and kind of, as soon as I sat down and spoke with him, like I, I knew it, it wasn't so much the club, it was more AD. I, I wanted to play for this guy uh, originally. That was the, the big pulling factor. And obviously, the, the more I learned about the club and stuff, uh, the more it made my mind up. Because obviously A.D. Boothroyd made his name at Watford um, and did spend a year or so in the Premier League managing them as well. So was that was that part of the draw for you with him? Uh, absolutely. Um, obviously looking at his background, uh, to be honest, I think A.D. gets a lot of bad press. Um, I'm not sure what your thoughts on him are. I don't know if you want to go into that now or a bit later. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I, think, I think looking back, the, 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 the issue for... For us as fans and for me as a fan was the day at Wembley where he decides not to pick Bayo will always override anything else that that kind of happened yeah. while AD was at the club, unfortunately. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's me being a very fickle fan. Um, I'm, I'm fully aware of the fact that that's all I am and I don't know the ins and outs of it. But from from my point of view, you sort of go, everybody used to call him... A.D. Hoofroyd. Yeah. Um, and still do, as far as I'm aware. And and the fact that he's now the England under-21s manager is 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 a bit of a surprise. Is that baffling to you, really. is it? A, a little bit, because how do you go from managing a League Two club to getting sacked by a League Two club to then being involved with the national setup? Yeah. But then again, it's not just him that's kind of done it. Rob Page has done that. So Rob Page took over after Chris Wilder. Yeah. He's now the Welsh under-21s manager. Right. That was his next job. And you are like, 
football is obviously such a, a ridiculous world. But if you look at it as as a as a player, and you'll probably know this, sometimes you go to a club and it just doesn't work out for you. But yeah. you go to another club, and actually, it's it's it feels like home. And as a striker, you bang the goals in, and you know everything. Nothing can go wrong for you. I suppose it must be the same for for a manager, and it, it it's just one of those things. And you do always have to remember, and I always have to put the caveat on of going, well, Eddie Boy three can't have been that bad because he got us to Wembley. He got yeah. us to a playoff final. Am I right in thinking the season before he kept Northampton up as well? The season before I signed. And there's an awful lot that that's you know AD does behind the scenes that I think fans and obviously supporters don't don't see. But um, yeah, he's a, a fantastic signing for us, and and um, you know he's, t- he's turned us from you know a club that was in you know not disarray, but we were in. You know, looking at looking at the conference to now, you know, we're upset we didn't win on Saturday because we could have been in third or fourth. I think from what I can remember, and when I spoke with AD, his massive thing was obviously he'd kept the team up the season before, and now it was his time to you know progress the club and get promoted. And obviously that was a, a big selling point for me. But honestly, AD Boothroyd, like I played for quite a quite a number of managers and someone class as really good managers but not one of them comes close to AD really just his, his attention to detail and the things that he brought in I'd never seen before and at times I haven't seen since so the fact that he's involved with England doesn't surprise me at all but I suppose you'd have to be kind of on the inside and working with him to see that you know his nickname when he left Watford you know Hoofroyd his football philosophy is is not what he's trying to do with the England under-21s. Now, if you're trying to coach a philosophy and... I get the AD Hoofroyd stuff because a lot of what we were successful on was having, obviously, it was Platy and Bayo up front and getting it forward to them really quick. And obviously, we had Ben Tozer with the long throw as well. So it was like, it was kind of playing to the percentages. But I think that's clever from AD because that's the way the team was built. You know, we had, we had a lot of strength and height throughout the whole team. So you'd be stupid not to do that, really. I, I, I've i got so much respect for the man. And looking back at the things that he was doing back then, and we're talking nearly, nearly 10 years ago, I bet a lot of football league clubs still aren't doing now. So it's no surprise that he's gone on to do really well, to me anyway, personally. Well, let's talk about when you actually first started and signed for the Cobblers. Um, eight goals in 16 games. You were on to a, you know, you were obviously loving life and, and enjoying your time playing in that system. So it can't have been all that bad from from our point of view. No, no, exactly. I mean, it was like an eye-opener for me going to a new club. Um, obviously, just seeing how different it was from Warsaw. Obviously, Warsaw had their own training ground, but at the time, Northampton were kind of between training grounds, like training at Moulton College, training at the rugby club. So, you know, it was an eye-opener for me. I'd obviously dropped down a level to League Two. And I just remember, I think it was my first or second session, like a couple of the players, I was thinking, oh, he's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not very good. He doesn't look up to it. Go on, can you name some names? Come on, I, Alex. I can't. <laughs> I can't possibly. Um, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But <laughs> I remember thinking like, oh, dear me, what have I done here? There's a couple of these. That, like the, We were doing like, because um, we went away to Croatia in pre-season mm. um, and we were doing some ball, dr- some some skill stuff, like just like volleys and half volleys. And I was with a player. I'm not going to name him. But I was like throwing the ball for him to like volley it back to me and half volley it back to me. And it was going all over the place, literally. And I was like, bloody hell, how's this guy a footballer? <laughs> and so like it, it was like a bit of an eye opener for me. But now was, I, was it was it Bayo? No, it wasn't. Bayo's class. <laughs> Bayo's Bayo's really good technically. Uh it wasn't him. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to do. No, that's fine. I won't go through the whole. Thing, don't worry. <laughs> um, but no, it was that preseason was was fantastic. The amount of work that we did, it was obviously a new new experience for me, and and I, I just loved every second of it. I was thriving. Obviously, meeting a, a new group of players, having to kind of start over all again, 
um, at a new club. It, it was something that I, uh, I I really enjoyed. How how did you find settling into that 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 new changing room? I mean, it's the first time, as, as you say, you've had to actually re-establish yourself at somewhere new. It's it's a bit like leaving home for the first time. Was it hard for you, or or did you actually think no, you know what? I'm quite good at being social and, and people tend to like me. Was it difficult or easy for you to just embed yourself into the team? I suppose the first couple of days were always difficult. Obviously, getting to know everybody, getting to know their names, getting to know their personalities and stuff, that's always going to be difficult. But once you get past that and you start making relationships with players, like one of my best friends within football at the time, well, not at the time, but looking back, obviously Clive Platt, and I, I yeah. never knew him before I went there. But um, obviously, we've got a really good relationship, and he really looked after me in my time at Northampton, um, and, and since then as well. But no, the, the group there was fantastic. There was such an array of characters, some really big characters like Luke Guttridge and John Johnson, um, two like real big characters, and then you had like the new signings like Chris Hackett. Platy, and then you had players like Ishmael de Montagnac. He was just a massive <laughs> character in himself. I bet, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of because of the different characters, it was so easy to get along with everybody. I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why we did so well that season. And then obviously, you had obviously Clark Carlisle coming in a little bit later in the season, and obviously, he, he, his type of character goes without saying. It was just a fantastic group. I mean, at the moment, um, under Keith Curl, there's what he calls a leadership team within the squad. So you've got the captain and the vice-captain, and then you've got, I think, three other players. So the way that Keith describes it is that if he needs to get a message out to all the players, he'll talk to those five, and then they will spread it out amongst the the rest of the group. Was there a bit of a a sort of cliques in, in the changing room at all, or was it? You know, actually, we're all all as one, and everybody was friends with everybody else. I think naturally there are little cliques, but not in a negative. Obviously, there's people with different personalities, like your Ben Tozers and your Kelvin Langmeads. They were like obviously big personalities, but kind of on the quieter side. And then you've got myself and Chris Hackett and and Platy, who were kind of quite rowdy and kind of you know Jack the Lad type characters. And so obviously we'd probably stay together a bit more and stuff. So there's, there's natural clicks, but the whole team and the whole unit just, just bonded well. And obviously you're talking about now having a kind of leadership group. I think we kind of had that embedded in us from the start without really working on it or knowing it. Obviously you got Kelvin Langmead was the, the club captain, a big character, experienced player. Then you've got obviously Platy, Bayo. Um, had Ben Harding, centre midfield, players with a lot of experience and really good characters. And I think we kind of formed, well, they kind of formed their own kind of leadership group and it kind of just worked. You, you mentioned how Clive Platt was obviously became a big friend of yours with that. What what was it like playing with somebody who had, who had done so much in his career? Was it a bit awe-dropping to sort of, Sort of go. Well, there's there's Clive Platt, and he, he's done quite a bit. Uh, no, not not really, because at that age, I was kind of of the attitude like I'm I I'm on the next one. Like, I'm on coming. This is what I'm going to do. Like I, I kind of didn't think about anyone else in that context, especially not at this level. Obviously, you look at the the world's best players in that way, but I think going into a League Two dressing room, you kind of don't get that. But obviously, I respected what he'd done throughout his career. And obviously, AD brought me in to kind of play alongside Platy. So we, when we went away to Croatia, we were put in the same room together to obviously try and build that relationship. And I, I think that helped on the pitch as well because we're such good friends off the pitch. It kind of worked on the pitch. Does that really make that that big of a difference? They, there's always talk, isn't there, when it's a strike combination, that that they have to sort of know what the other person is planning on doing instinctively. I mean, does that come from just time on the pitch, or or is it 
from knowing that player and knowing that other person and, and, and liking them? I, I think it's a, a mix of both, really. I, I think if you were to say, you know, would you rather play up with someone that you get along with and are friends with or someone that you don't like, you're always going to pick the one that you, you're friends with and that you like. It's just natural. And then obviously the, the relationship forms from there. And then you just kind of get used to each other on the pitch. Obviously, it was it was cut short through injury and stuff, but you know, it, it was we'd started really well that season, and we we got good balance and obviously good relationships. Um, and, you know, it was going places. Nice interchange of passes. This is Chris Hackett. Decent cross towards Platt, who scores despite the fact Josh Lilly's got a hand to it. Clive Platt puts Northampton in France. Over comes the corner into the near post. Was that in? Well, it's in now. Well, Kelvin Langmead will claim it. I'm not too sure whether the first effort went in. That's a good run into the penalty area. Hackett tripped in the box. And the referee points to the spot. Here comes Eddie Bayo. Akin Fenwa. Cool as you like, sends Josh Lillis the wrong way. Northampton lead by three goals to one. Let's very quickly talk about another player that was in the squad. I don't think we can get through. Well, we have, we've already mentioned him in fairness, but what was Bayo like? I mean, he, he he seems like the most loving, caring, bubbly personality in the world. I mean, I, I've met him a couple of times when he was playing for us, just to say hello after a game or something. Yeah, And he always had time, you know, regardless of where he was going or what he was doing. He always had was it was he the same for for you and the rest of the team? Absolutely, he was. Everything that you've just said about him there is absolutely true. Um, you know, I'm sure some people may look at him and think, "Oh, well, you know, he's not that nice in real life." But he he genuinely is. Obviously, when I had my injury, he used to come and and sit with me in the hospital and stuff. He'd just do little things like that, and you'd think, "Oh, yeah, this, you know, Bayo, you've you've got all your own stuff going on." you're kind of blowing up as a person, but you've still got time to come and sit with me for a couple of hours at the hotel and he'd bring me a Nando's on a Friday um, every <laughs> now and then and stuff like that. So, you know, just just little things like that. It, it shows what type of person he is. Um, obviously, I've, I've come up against him a few times since, since I played with him at, at different clubs. Um, you know, he always gives me the biggest, the biggest hugs and... He's got so much time for everybody. Yeah, he's just a fantastic guy, and I'm I'm really happy and really pleased that you know he's doing so well for himself at the moment. Yeah, I mean, what was it like? Because obviously, at the time, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is the time that, that it was this spell at the club that he had, where his you know too big to play football brand and and beast mode and everything came on. I, I've got a feeling I've got a beast mode Wembley T-shirt somewhere. Yeah. Um, what What was it like though? Because obviously. Some managers might turn around and say, and, and I, I don't know, but maybe this was one of the things that AD did, was we said, well, you're meant to be a footballer and you've got all of this going on. Give us your concentration. I mean, was there any amount of jealousy towards him at all? I don't think because of his clothing brand, but I think AD saw him as such a big character. I'm not sure whether he saw him as maybe a threat. I'm not sure, but... It's a difficult one, really, because obviously Bayo is such a nice guy. But at the time, he was going through a little bit of a difficult patch with AD. They were kind of clashing. AD wanted someone up front who was going to be able to run in behind and stuff. And obviously, Bayo was never going to do that. No. But it gives you the other side of it. Um, so I think they kind of had ruptures because Bayo wasn't as mobile as AD wanted. But then obviously, Bayo's character. And the way he was with the fans, it was difficult for him to be left out. So I think kind of A.D. Buford had that kind of in-between where he didn't really want him. But at the same time, if he got rid of him, it would give him more problems from the atmosphere in the group and within the club. But obviously that season, I mean, he scored how many? He was the top scorer that season, wasn't he, I think? Yeah. Um, And then still didn't play at Wembley, which is strange. But yeah, it was one of those. I don't think AD ever looked at it as if to say he wasn't focused on football. It was just more so what AD wanted, how he wanted his teams to play. Bayo didn't really fit the profile of that. But I mean, 
looking back, he did, he did fantastically well that season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a player that didn't fit into the system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what about you guys, though, as players with him I mean he's a lovely character he's a lovely guy but then you've got somebody who is basically he's becoming a sensation isn't he he's not just being loved by the fans of the football club he's playing for but he's appearing on Soccer AM and he's getting noticed by you know all these different you know sort of esports and you know obviously the big thing with FIFA where he's the strongest player in the whole game was was there ever a a bit of ribbing given to him or, or, or because of a bit of jealousy well, at the time, he hadn't blown up like that. It was still kind of very early on in that he'd, he'd just brought the the too big to play football one and the beast modes. The, the I think he'd just started bringing out like hoodies and t shirts at that time, but he hadn't really properly blown up at that at that stage. So, Do, could you see it happening? Do you think? Um, I'm not sure because I think he's got bigger since then. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's you know what I mean. Like physically, I, I think he he's re, like I look back at some pictures and he was big, but he looks well bigger now than what he used to. So yeah, one of the team photos that the the club released on on Twitter and Instagram the other day, literally there was a, there was a, a reply from somebody that just simply was tagging Bayo into it and saying. What had you, had you not found chicken? Yeah, what, where are you? You know, where where, where are you? he looks so thin and slender. You know, in that photo, compared to obviously what he, he looks like now, mm. it's it's almost unrecognisable. Yeah, but I I don't think all that had blown up that season. But then I played against him when I was at Exeter. I think he was at Wickham at the time. Obviously, he's still there now. But after the game, there was literally about two hundred kids waiting for him. Uh, around the team bus after the game and it was like it, it was staggering and he's obviously walked out and all the kids have gone mental and he, he really has turned into such a, a massive public figure obviously because of FIFA and the Soccer AM stuff but that kind of wasn't going on at a time when we are at Northampton Adebayo come on sum it up in your own inimitable way oh, it's what dreams are made of look I'm more tired now running around there than I was in the whole game. But it's a beautiful feeling. Look, look, it's a beautiful feeling. All right, but sidebar, I think I'm technically unemployed. So any managers, hit me up on the WhatsApp and get me a job. Come here, come here. You have a really good start to the season. As I said, you've scored eight goals in 16 games. It's a, it's a fantastic return, one in two. And then obviously you suffer a horrendous injury against Port Vale. You mentioned earlier that, that you nearly signed for Port Vale that, that summer. Yeah. So how different your life could have been, not just where you're living, but also you might never have suffered that that injury. Can you remember it much from that day? Yeah, I remember it all, to be honest. I remember everything. I remember really looking forward to the game, obviously because I nearly signed for them in that summer. I don't think Mickey Adams took well to me turning around at the last minute and saying no sorry I'm going to go and sign for Northampton so there was kind of that around it I think Port Vale were doing really quite well at the time they were towards the top of the table and I think we were around the playoffs so it was a big game for us in that aspect so I was really looking forward to it uh, and what AD used to do he used to get us in on a Saturday morning and um, we'd come in early do a little tactical session on the pitch have a walk through some set pieces and stuff. Then we'd have our lunch and then he'd give us like a couple of hours chilling before obviously the, we started preparing for the game. And I used to love that because I'd never done that before. But to me, like doing something like that was, was fantastic, like preparation, really good professionalism. Uh, so I used to love that and I used to love getting there early, walking around the pitch. He used to, he used to make us... Um, walk around the pitch on our own and walk into certain parts of the pitch where you'll be playing and kind of visualise what you'll be doing in that game. Uh, and I used to love that because it was all, all new to me and it was kind of stimulating for me. Um, so I, I remember walking around the pitch thinking, oh, I'm up for this today. I, I can't wait for this game to start. And then obviously what happened, happened. I remember the build-up. I remember looking forward to the game and... Obviously, what, what can you say?
your scoring as well as the injury happens. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've only ever played football, you know, with my mates and stuff, but and, and I was never good enough to do that, to be honest. But um, if I ever scored, then, then I'd make a massive deal of it. Yeah. And of course, there you are. I, I was going to say writhing around. You weren't. You were horribly still. I remember it very vividly. Did they, am I right in saying, did they, did they sedate you? Did the guys that, that came on, the doctor and, and stuff, did, did they have to sort of make Yes, yeah, you... so, so what it was, obviously, I'll just talk, talk through the, I might as well talk you through the whole goal. Obviously, I've taken the ball around the goalkeeper, I think it was. Nichols gives chase, he's done well, Alex Nichols! And scores the goal. And I've taken the touch inside and put it in, as I've put it in. He's took me out from the side. For Northampton Town and was caught after the ball had gone by John McComb. McComb apologising to the Northampton players. It was a dreadful back pass which put the goalkeeper under pressure. McComb came sliding in. And Nichols, well, he's in some discomfort here. Once I'm down, like, I, I know something's not right. I look down at my leg and I can obviously see my bone poking out, pointing out my sock. So I was like, oh, God. So all I, all I thought was put your head down and just try and mask the pain, basically. Um, so that's obviously why I wasn't moving. I was just kind of like, just, I don't know, you go into a kind of weird state, but I knew exactly what had happened. Like I was just kind of thinking, put your head in your hands, just try and get through it. Um, and then obviously the physios come on and seen the damage and the doctors come on and seen the damage and then... I think I'm right in saying the ambulance came onto the pitch and they gave me some morphine, so that obviously took the edge off. But yeah, that, that's that's what happened when all that went on on the pitch, really. And McComb still being spoken to by the referee. Well, it's a red card for the Port Vale captain. And having seen the incident again, can't really blame him and that is a bad sign for Northampton. Alex Nichols taken away in the ambulance. A lot of the time you'll you'll hear or I'll hear Cobblers fans remembering it. And the one thing that they they seem to remember with vivid detail is the abuse you were getting. Did you hear anything? Was there anything that or, or was it, you know, you're in a zone, so to speak, trying to mask that pain? Yeah, absolutely that. I can't remember. I wasn't listening out for what the crowd was singing. I wasn't listening for anything. All I was doing was trying to get through that pain. Um, so, no, I, obviously I was made aware of it afterwards. But at the time, I I, I didn't hear anything. I, I wasn't focusing on anything. Do you feel anything like, you know, are you annoyed by the fact that people were like that? Or do you see it as a way of like, well, I've just scored against them, regardless of, of the fact that, you know, I'm I'm lying now with a broken leg. You know, you're going to get abuse. You've just, and it, you know, you were right in front of them as well. It wasn't like you'd scored at the North Stand then with the home fans. It was right in front of the away fans that you've scored against. Yeah. Well, f- football fans can be a bit like that, can't they? It kind of comes with the territory, whether that's right or wrong, you know. Like I say, football fans are going to be football fans. It's it kind of it's kind of the culture, isn't it? But I mean, I've got no feelings towards it. Obviously, I know it happens. I've been booed. I've been f bombed at. I've had it all. Like it, it just kind of part and parcel of football. Have you have you scored against them since? You know what? I haven't even thought about this. Really, I scored a last minute winner for Barnet. Against Port Vale, it was nil nil, and I scored in literally the last kick of the game, and it didn't even enter in my head. Just a, it was just the last minute of the game. You've won yeah. the game for Barnet, so you celebrate for that reason. Absolutely, yeah. and literally until you've just asked me that, it's never popped into my head since then either. Fair, fair enough. I mean, you're a better better man than I am. I'd yeah, have probably no. gone, you know, full on at it. Yeah, I kind of. I don't understand stuff like that. I'm I'm kind of not that way inclined. You're kind of lowering yourself to their level type thing then, aren't you? So no, it was never it was never about getting payback against Port Vale or or whatever. So and obviously until you've asked me that question, I I hadn't even thought about it. What about what about John McComb, the the player that obviously I'll, I'll say inadvertently caused the the injury? Yeah. Did, did he contacted 
you at any point after it happened? It was a strange one, really, because the day after it had happened, I'd gone in for the obviously the operation. I think it was the night, the night that it happened. I'd gone in to obviously have my leg fixed, but with the damage that had happened, I needed to have a skin graft as well. But they couldn't do that at the same time, so they fixed my leg. And then they've brought me back out onto the ward. And then I went down to have the skin graft done the very next day. And within those two operations, he'd rang me and left me an answer for a message. But I was literally all over the place. I was obviously morphined out my face and stuff. So I wasn't going to pick up the phone and give him a call back um, at that time. I can't really remember what was on it. I was that that zonked really but I, I know he did apologize but yeah i'd never heard back from him after that obviously he'd left me the answer phone message and and that was it and i always kind of thought in the, the months previous obviously when he'd seen all the setbacks that i'd had and stuff if he had seen it that he might you know just drop me a text and say i hope everything's going okay or or anything but no i've never never heard of him after the the initial answer phone message um, but obviously that's up to him, isn't it? Did you worry that that was your career over? Not at the time, no. At the time, I was kind of, yeah, I've broke my leg. I, I didn't realise the severity of what was going to come later down the line. At the time, it was, it was yeah, you've broke your leg, you're probably looking at seven to nine months and you'll be back. And I was kind of, yeah, I can get my head around that. There was never any question of career being over or not making a full recovery. Um, So at the time, it it never really entered my head. It was just obviously things that happened further on down the line that kind of put that in jeopardy. What was it that actually actually happened further on down the line? What were your setbacks, Alex? Well, what it was, because the bone came out the skin, um, there was all grass and dirt in the bone end. Right. Um, and I'm going to try not to throw up. Yeah, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what they say, obviously, when once the bone is exposed to the air and the elements, then you're pretty much certainly going to get some kind of infection. And obviously, with the dirt and the grass that was embedded in it, it was always going to happen. Obviously, nothing was said to me at the time. But looking back, medically, it was always going to happen. That was going to get some sort of infection. And all I remember really is the skin graft took months and months to heal. And that was because it was infected, but no one really knew at the time. They were just because skin grafts can be quite messy in themselves. Um, Everyone just thought, oh, you know, skin grafts are like that. It's fine. But it turned out as soon as my skin graft healed and obviously kept all the, the liquids and the juices in my leg, my kind of leg kind of exploded really and kind of pus was coming out from everywhere so obviously I had different cuts and cuts and lumps on my leg what happened was that the infection had obviously found different ways to come back out of my leg and some of the stuff that came out my leg you you wouldn't even you wouldn't even want to think about it but (laughs) yes I don't want to think about it you're right yeah (laughs) um it was the infection that caused the problems and then obviously as the infection gets worse it kind of eats away at your bone and then your bone shortens and that's a massive problem especially for somebody who wants to get back and play football yeah, yeah. um so i don't i don't know whether you ever saw the the metal cage that I had to have on my leg yes yeah yeah well i had that on for five months and that's just to help get rid of the infection whilst trying to extend your bone again um so yeah without being too technical it was basically the infection that was the problem and the treatment that came with it wasn't very nice and it was kind of looked at as you know you may not come back from this how were the club with you i mean i know that obviously they they stuck by you 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 had a two-year contract and obviously actually you, you were there for a bit longer than two years yeah so the club must have actually been been very good. The club are fantastic. Uh, you know, um, they did absolutely everything. They paid for everything that I needed. 
and they paid for all my treatment. They got me the best surgeon. Um, literally, they went above and beyond for me, and I can't thank them enough. I don't know how much of that was down to the chairman or down to AD at the time pushing that on the chairman. I, I'm not sure, but you know, I can only say it from how I felt and how I saw it. And they did absolutely everything for me to give me the the best opportunity of coming back. And I can say, you know. I've witnessed the same things happen when players have got injured and uh, they're coming towards the end of contracts at different clubs and the clubs can't wait to get rid of them and stuff like that. So, you know, the club are fantastic with me from start to finish. Are you, as a, as a footballer, are you like in, in, insured in any way? So if the club hadn't been either in a position or, you know, they're just not as nice as, as they actually were, would you have had a way of being able to, you know, cover costs for things like that? Or, or would you have just gone into the same old system that, that I would do with the NHS if it was me that broke my leg? Well, what it is, um, obviously there's nothing for nothing like that, but you, obviously you can take it out personally. And I'd literally, I'd got an injury insurance quote on the Friday before the Saturday that this happened. And I, so I've got the quote on the Friday and I was like, yeah, We'll do it. We'll get it all done on the Monday. Obviously, broke my leg on the Saturday and it was all, I couldn't do it. So, yeah, that was a, a bit of a strange one. It would have been a lot easier for me if I had have signed that on the Friday. But no, it, I was lucky enough to have two years left on my contract pretty much. And I was lucky enough that the, the club really looked after me. And I can't thank them enough for that, really. Did you spend much time coming back to the club when you were injured did you come to a lot of games or was it more of a do you know what actually I'm just going to stay out the way and concentrate on myself I don't want any reminders of football especially not with my employers I never really thought of it I wanted to be around the place to be honest I was kind of I enjoyed seeing the lads I enjoyed the banter and stuff and AD at the time he was desperate for me to stay involved and, and be around everybody so in that initial stage, I loved being there and being around the lads and it was really good. But then kind of when I started having my setbacks and I realised how far away I actually was, I kind of wanted to stay at home more and kind of work from home and, and not be around it because I didn't want to see, obviously, the lads enjoying themselves out at training. You know, it kind of had the adverse effect on me. Kind of went through both stages of it. Did you go to Wembley? Um, I did, yes. Yeah, there's a story. I think Clark put it in his book. Obviously, towards the end of that that season with the playoffs and stuff, AD really, he loved having me on the team bus and around the lads. And I just remember the, the Cheltenham game, when the away game, when Guts scored and we won 1-0. Obviously, that was the second leg and we went through to Wembley. I just remember like, sat on the bus crying just because, obviously... I was buzzing that the lads had got to Wembley, you know, it's such a massive thing, but it kind of hit home to me that the lads have made it to Wembley. I'm not going to be involved. Like I was devastated, but at the same time buzzing for the lads. And it was like probably one of my hardest moments in football. That was obviously sitting on the coach with everybody, everybody's buzzing and and drinking beer and stuff and, and singing and dancing. And I'm there and it just kind of hit home. Probably one of the biggest games in, in your career going to be played at the the stadium where everybody wants to play. I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, so that was difficult. But then obviously AD just made me feel massively part of it, managed to get me because uh, they had all, all playoff final suits made and stuff and AD made sure that I got mine done as well. So, yeah, he, he made it feel like I was, I was involved and that I was actually, you know, part of the team even though I wasn't. I wasn't fit to play, so that was really nice of him. You're still part of the the team. You were part of the effort that got them there. Okay, you know you hadn't played since October, but you, you know your your goals had still secured vital points that leading up to it. Yeah, I, su- I suppose, but you don't see it like that at the time, or I didn't anyway. It was tough mentally, but you know it's it's tough looking back now because obviously I'm coming to pretty much the end of my career. And that kind of, ch- I've never played at Wembley. And I kind of look back and think, oh, you know, it, it riles me a little bit more just that I haven't I haven't got the chance to go back there since and, and play. Um, so, yeah, it, it's frustrating, but I suppose you can't dwell on the past. 
No. Have you ever thought about what might have been? You were, as I said, eight goals in those 16 games. You you were on for a 20-goal season. Yeah. Do you ever wonder how much, how different your career could have been? I probably did after, once I got back to fitness and things hadn't worked out in Northampton, I'd gone to Exeter. I kind of... I kind of maybe thought about it a little bit more then when I when I had to leave Northampton. It kind of came home to me, you know, well, you know what might have been if I hadn't got the injury. But I'm kind of at a place now where you know I've accepted it, and you know my career's happened since then, and what what's gone on in my career's gone on, and you know I'm I'm proud of the career I've had, and I suppose you'll always look back and think, you know, it could have been a little bit better. When you do, then finally finally recover and, and you come back in. I mean, your very first game back, if I'm right in saying, and I, I'm including friendlies here, was a pre-season game, I'm presuming, away at Silby Rangers and you yeah. scored a hat-trick. Yeah. That how, was nice. Yeah. How did you feel? Um, I was kind of, it was a weird one because I was really, really happy to get back playing, but I was still in, in agony with my leg, if I'm being honest. It was still really painful, um, but it was kind of at the state. My contract had just finished, so I'm thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do now? Uh, my leg's still hurting. I don't want anyone to know my leg's still hurting because I'm trying to earn a new contract with the club. Obviously, I'd come on just after half time, I think it was, and I'd gone on and scored a hat-trick, and I was like, yeah, buzzing, really happy. You know, it was kind of closure for the last two years of, of hurt, really. But also in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, my leg's still not right. It's still really hurting. Like, where am I going to go from here type thing? It was a really nice moment. But then obviously it was shadowed by the fact that my leg was still not great. I mean, you did earn a, was it a short-term contract that the club gave you? Um, because you didn't leave us, did you, properly until the following January? Not, no. I know you went on loan, didn't you, at first? But Yeah, well, what it is, Chris Wilder, it was the manager at the time. I'm not sure whether it was more him, his doing or the chairman's doing it again. I kind of think they felt they owed it to me to, you know, give me a chance of, of coming back and, you know, seeing it through properly. So, they, I mean, they gave me a contract. It wasn't a very good contract, but at the time it was like, you know, kind of take it or leave it. You know, I was always going to take it because I wanted to kind of finish what I'd started type thing, if you get me. But, yeah, so obviously I signed a short term. I think it was till January, but uh, which I was happy with at the time. You know, obviously I went out on loan and, and then came back and played a few games. I don't think I ever fully gave a good account of myself after the injury in a, in a cobbler's shirt. Do you think, because uh, I remember you going out on loan to Exeter and being quite I, I gutted, I think, is fair enough the word that I used, because I, I, I kind of was like that going, this is probably the end of you in a cobbler's shirt now. You know, yeah. The fact that you'd gone on loan to Exeter as well, you know, you were in a side in the same division. It wasn't like you'd gone to, you know, a, a non-league side or, you know, uh, a team just to go out and get fitness levels up to be able to play first team games. Yeah. It was almost like it was a case of, you know, you're actually looking, not necessarily you, but, you know, you're looking for a different club, a different place to start again almost. I personally was really happy when you came back. Uh, from that month and even more so happier when you then scored against Wimbledon and I mean I've watched the the clip of the goal on YouTube this morning just to remind myself you kind of look like I mean it's a great finish yeah but you kind of look like you've kind of gone yeah I've scored you're 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 running away to to celebrate but it to me it looks more like it's the rest of the team that it means more to yeah, the way that they all jump on you, and it's literally the whole team mm. just surround you. And I mean, if they could have done, they'd have probably lifted you up onto their shoulders like like your Bobby Moore winning the World Cup. <laughs> That's a good save from Shea. Oh, and it's another one. It's two, and what a moment it is for Alex Nichols. 
his first goal in two years. And Northampton Town have a second goal, and Nichols, who hasn't scored since finding the back of the net against Port Vale in October 2012. Did you feel like it was, you know, I'm back? Kind of, yeah. Um, you know, obviously the the lads had seen what I'd been through for the last two years. You know, they'd seen that the ups and downs that I'd had and, and how difficult it had been for me. Um, and even a lot of the lads hadn't been there for that as well. So for them to kind of feel what it was like for me and feel how important it was and celebrate with me the way they did, it's, it's credit to them really. But I was kind of happy for myself, but at the same time, I kind of knew which way my Northampton career was going. Uh, I think the writing was on. I, I don't think Chris Wilder liked me um, as a player. I don't think he took to me. I don't know whether it was because, well, when he when he took the job, I didn't feel. I, I think he felt like not that I was a threat, but because I was kind of a big character at the club. I think he kind of saw me as, you know, if we keep him around, he might demean what we're trying to do type thing. You know, he's got a big name before us. And then us coming in, we want to start afresh. We need to get kind of get rid of that and bring our own, which is fair, totally fair enough. But, you know, I don't think he was, he, he liked me from day one, if I'm being totally honest. It didn't feel like it anyway. You know, I might be totally wrong and, but to be it, fair, it you wouldn't be the only one that has said that. I mean, I've read an interview with Ender Stevens, who was on loan with the club. I don't know whether you were still there at the time. But yeah, I was, yeah. He said, hasn't he, that, that you know, Chris Wilder basically turned around after that, the end of the loan and just said to him, I'm not renewing your, your, your loan deal. This is what you need to do. Go away and do this. And now look at him. He, he's yeah. playing in the Premier League week in, week out for the same manager. I mean, that it's, it's crazy how these things kind of work. But I, I suppose in a way, what happened to you was similar to what was happening maybe between A.D. Boothroyd and Bayo. Yeah, which is what I felt, obviously not at the time, but looking back, I kind of think, you know, it's probably intelligent management, really. It, it, it was just a weird one. I was, I was really disappointed with, with how it ended. Obviously, I went to Exeter came back, played a few games, didn't really do great. The team wasn't doing great. We had a load of injuries, which is why the pretty much the only reason why they recalled me. And yeah, I just kind of, it was like they kind of gave me the contract until January just to say, yeah, we've given him the chance. But it was never really, you know, going to go much further than that, I don't think. And then obviously when, once I went to Exeter, that was pretty much done and dusted from there which was sad but it's football yeah I, how, how did you feel when, when you signed for Exeter did it feel like a brand new start and you could leave everything the injury and everything that had gone before behind and, and start afresh uh, not really because I didn't want to go I wanted to stay at Northampton but you know obviously I knew the situation I needed games Northampton couldn't give me games that there wasn't a reserve team at the time so it was difficult to get my fitness that way so I kind of got forced into having to go to Exeter and you know it, it, it ended up doing all right um, I enjoyed my time there I stayed there a couple of seasons after I went on loan a uh, really lovely part of the world um, you know they kind of gave me the the chance to to kind of get my career back on track as it were. So since then you've you, you've already mentioned that you played for Barnet. Um, you played there a couple of seasons. Was there a loan deal as well for Dundee United during that yes, time? Yes, there was, yeah. That wasn't how, how does that come about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it was My career started turning a little bit messy um, as soon as I signed for Barnet, really, um, under Martin Allen, not the most stable manager. Um, he obviously signed me at Barnet and then left after a couple of months and obviously a new manager coming in. You know, who was the new manager? I think it was the the under twenty ones manager got promoted, and he didn't he didn't want me, so they tried to ship me out in January and kind of said, "Look, Dundee United want to take you on loan. You're not going to play for us, so you either go or you can stay here and and not be involved." So it was kind of pushed again, really. But I went up there, and you know. 
it, lovely part of Scotland. I loved Dundee. It was you know Dundee United is a really good club within Scotland. Um, we got to a playoff final, lost in the playoff final, so it was a bit bittersweet. But I enjoyed my time up there. But I was never gonna, never gonna stop up there, really. Mm. I mean, you, you then come back into the football league with Crew. I mean, I remember seeing you play against us in a Crew shirt, and and was really happy to see you on a football pitch. I mean, looking at your career, I mean. There are a lot of players who will say, well, you know, you look at where they've played and it's all in the same sort of area, either maybe in the northwest or the southeast or, or, or where London maybe in some cases. You've you've properly done a tour of the UK. Yeah, I've been all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> I mean, was it was it ever something that you really thought I can't do that. I mean, if I if I basically got offered a job to go and work in, so so I live in near Manchester. Right. Um, if I got offered a job to go and I don't know, even go back home to Northampton, I'd I'd have to. I, I couldn't just go. Yeah, sure, brilliant. I'd have to consult family, and you know, it would be a big upheaval for me yeah. to do that. And I know football is is a very very different business, but you know. To go from Walsall and Northampton, and there was a loan spell at Burton as well. I mean, they're all relatively close together, all in yeah. the Midlands, fairly. But then you go to Exeter, so you've gone pretty much as far south as you can go. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, you kind of come up a little bit to Barnet, but then all of a sudden, you're in Scotland. Scotland, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously, when you when you leave Scotland, you, you, you're back in the you're back in England, but you're in the northwest. Yeah. So you, you know. You have gone literally as as far north as you possibly can and as far south as you can. Pretty much, yeah. But I mean, when it, my it was my circumstances. If you'd have asked me at the start of my career, would you want to travel all around the the UK and and you know up and down the country, I'd have probably said no. I want to stay local to to my roots. But with the cir- with the circumstances that I was in, it was kind of you're going to have to do it. Um, I was lucky enough to, at the time to, obviously my kids weren't in school, um, so it was kind of, I was I was flexible and could, could move about. Um, obviously, as my kids have got older and stuff, they needed to be settled. So it's, it's put a little bit more pressure on me. So like when I was at Barnet, I was living in Birmingham and I'd travel there and back every day, which obviously is a big commitment. But you know, it was one that I pretty much had to do because I didn't want to move my kids out of their school. Uh, I suppose it's just part and parcel of, you know, being a footballer. But if you, yeah, if you'd have asked me at the start of my career, would I have wanted to do that? Obviously, I wouldn't, but uh, it's my circumstances dictated, really. But then, obviously, looking back, I'm glad I've done it because I've managed to, you know, see different cities and kind of lived in Exeter for a little bit that was fantastic obviously had to live up in Scotland for a while and really enjoyed that obviously difficult with having to leave the family behind but it's a short career and you're only doing it for so ever many years you can I know that Alex is looking ahead to the future. He's already done his UEFA B coaching badge and he's going through currently the recruitment process uh, to become a firefighter and follow in his father's footsteps. So it looks like Alex's future is bright. And I'd just like to say again, thanks very much to Alex for talking to me for the podcast. If you'd like to hear the interview in full, uh, there's a couple of things that have been left out, then then you'll be able to do that through our Patreon. All you need to do is just sign up to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Costs as little as $2 a month, and you'll be able to hear just a couple of extra tidbits that Alex had to say, along with all of the other content that we've got on there that is an additional extra to the podcast that's it for this week we'll be back next week and i hope to see you then thanks for listening support the podcast on patreon by joining the it's all cobblers to me fan club every month you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content such as our meet the staff series hear our player interviews before anyone else and be invited to regular meetups 
By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.